the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life. Um, It's a program designed to take your phone calls and answer your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about stuff going on in church, stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is to call us, 210-340-9585 for your live calls and questions. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car on this Friday evening, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. It's hard to imagine that we've made it through another week, but we are here, and we'd love your phone calls. I've had a whole bunch of questions sent in, um, so let's get started right away. Have a great, great weekend in church. I know we're going to be busy um, have our pastor's discipleship class tomorrow in morning prayer, a uh, whole bunch of stuff going on. And then uh, on Sunday, I'm going to be teaching out of the book of Acts. Tonight here at the church, uh, we are going to finish Philippians chapter 3 uh, in our Friday night Bible study starting at 7 o'clock. That can be seen at calvarysa.com. Hey, we've got a little bit of business to take care of before we get started with anything else. So let me go first to um, a question that we had that was sent in, I believe, by Maverick earlier. And I said I would do some research on it. It was about uh, explaining the differences between 1 Kings 9.28 and 2 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 18, regarding the amount of gold that was received. And one account said 420 talents. Another one said 450, and this is widely pointed to as one of the places where you can't trust the Bible because there's a discrepancy. There are some answers here. Now, the one I gave, I think, is still the simplest and uh, the the one that's most satisfying. Uh, It's just uh, in the the Hebrew with the letters and the the, uh, uh, characters, um, it's very hard looking at old manuscripts to discern which was, uh, you know, there's a a, a little tiny difference in the letter uh, makes a big difference. In this case, a number makes a big difference in the number. So um, sometimes they're just translated wrong. Now, we can still trust the inerrancy of the Bible because it doesn't have anything to do uh, with anything doctrinal uh, and and it's not... uh, uh, really a contradiction. Uh, It's just a difference. Now, I also uh, emailed a friend of mine. Uh, His name uh, is uh, Pastor Gino Geraci. He is on the board and one of the editors and answerers of questions for gotquestions.org. And I highly recommend them. 
Uh, I don't use them. I can't see them well enough because uh, the stuff they have on there is pretty small. But uh, GodQuestions.org, if you have any uh, questions like this. And let me read you their answer. And this is from one of their editors, uh, a woman named Pam. Um, she says, The similarity in chapters and sentences of these two passages may make it appear as if this is one and the same account, but if we look carefully at their context, we see that they may not be. First Kings 9, verses 10 20 through 10, 28 is the account of King Solomon's wealth and the building of his empire. This includes the building of his fleet of ships. Uh, it says King Solomon built ships at Ezion Geber uh, near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea. That's First Kings nine twenty six. Verse twenty seven says Hiram sent his men, sailors who knew the sea, to serve the fleet with Solomon's men. When they returned from Ophir, they had with them four hundred twenty talents of gold. Second Chronicles eight sixteen gives an interesting detail which isn't found in First Kings nine. Here it is: all Solomon's work was carried out from the day the foundation of the temple of the Lord was laid until its completion. So the temple of the Lord was finished. Verse 17 begins with, Then Solomon went to Ezon, Geber, and Eloth. Verse 18 continues, And Hiram sent him ships, plural, commanded by his own men, sailors who knew the sea. Um, then she continues, was the timing of these two events different? In Kings, First Kings, Solomon may have been building his ships during the construction of the temple, while Second Chronicles clearly states that the trip took place after the construction was finished. So here's the idea. There's more than one trip in, in view, uh, and that's the answer that is the most satisfying uh, to uh, the people at gotquestions.org. And by the way, gotquestions.org is the Calvary Chapel ministry, or, or at least uh, heavily funded by and supported by and even staffed by uh, Calvary Chapel people. So uh, that's what they believe to be the, the best explanation, um, not necessarily at all a a uh, a contradiction or a mistake. So, uh, Maverick, I hope that helps. And sorry it took me so long to get it. But they warned me that it was going to take a few days to get their answer. And I didn't want to just stick with mine. I wanted to dig in just a little bit deeper. Um, the next piece of business that I need to take care of is from Thomas. And uh, Thomas didn't necessarily, this was a, a call into the studio, the radio station, and it says uh, uh, it says more for personal reasons for Pastor On, uh, not necessarily need, wanted me to address it on the air. Now, Thomas, I'm, the reason I'm addressing it on the air, and I don't know who you are, and and uh, we're not giving away anything, uh, is because I have no other way to address it on than on the air. Um, I, I will never talk to you. I don't know who you are, so um, here's Thomas's message, and I will respond. And, and I always do this because I want to. I want to deal with criticism. Um, it says Thomas mentioned how Pastor Ron talks about welcoming people into the church. He asks, "Why hasn't the church welcomed me into church?" Thomas has tried to reach out to him during his struggles. He would really appreciate a call from Pastor Ron. Um, Thomas, I, I've got a church with lots and lots of people, lots and lots and lots of people, and um, my. Ministry is to them. I have no record of you uh, calling, no message. You didn't leave a phone number. Um, additionally, it's very important you understand that I'm here all the time. You can come to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, and if you're going through some struggles and you need some help, then it has to be important enough to you to get here. To get here, I'm available before and after services. I'm available uh, during the week by appointment. I've got a lot of people here. Uh, it's not that that I'm, we're not welcoming you. We don't know you, and it's just not possible or feasible. I don't even drive because of my vision. I don't even drive. So for me to reach out to you or to come to you is um, um, it's just not going to happen. And that has nothing to do with welcoming you or not welcoming you. It's just that this has to be important enough to you, Thomas, that you would go get help. 
I, you know, we, and this is not Thomas, this is just everybody. We live in a church culture. People think, well, well, the church needs to do this for me and the church needs to do that for me. Um, you know, the church is the church. We're here all the time. And my job is to minister to the people who are here. I cannot minister to the people who aren't here. Now, I realize on this radio program, I'm reaching out to people who will never get to Calvary Chapel San Antonio. And I hope this program is a blessing. I really do. But I often refer people, Thomas, to their own church and to their own pastor. Because when you're going through something that's difficult, you really and truly need to be in fellowship. You need uh, personal attention. You need to be able to look somebody in the eyes. You need to be able to cry with them and laugh with them. And and honestly, a, a voice on the radio can't do that to you. So... Um, if you want a phone call, then you can email questions at calvarysa.com and leave your phone number. And I would ask that you also leave um, sort of a, a brief synopsis about what's going on. And, and either I or one of the people on my staff will be happy to give you a call. But if you want person-to-person, face-to-face, ministry to happen. you got to get here, Thomas. you just got to get here. And I hope that makes sense to you. I hope that isn't uh, being received as, well, they just don't care about me. It's not that at all. We don't know you. And we've got our hands full with a whole bunch of people who actually get out of their house, get in their cars, and they come here during the week. We have Bible studies, Thomas, on Monday night. Pastor Ken is here every Monday night teaching the Word. And it's a smaller group, and uh, there's plenty of time to talk. Uh, we've got uh, Bible studies, that's men, women, and youth on Monday nights in separate studies. Uh, I do Bible study on Wednesday night. I do another Bible study on Friday night. I do three services on Sunday. And... Um, you know, while Sunday's never ideal because there's always a bunch of people who want to talk to me after the messages and we're, we're crunched for time, um, at least we could introduce ourselves, Thomas, and we could uh, get you with the right people to make an appointment with me and you do need an appointment to talk to me. So, Thomas, I hope that makes sense. I really and truly needed to address that um, because I don't want to just dismiss criticism uh, just um, wanted to make you understand. Let's go to our friend Ruben on line one from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Oh, God bless you, Pastor Ron. It is such a pleasure to to talk to you and to hear your voice. You know, uh, man, just Thomas, if you're listening to me, if you listen to this, believe me, I've this man has helped me for the past 10 years of my life, and he's continued to help me. And, um, Pastor, I will be there Sunday. Uh, Tom told me uh, he was going to pick me up for the 8.30 service. I don't know if he stays for the other ones or not, but I hope I get a chance just to say hi. Ruben, if you don't say hi to me, I'll come find you and punch you. (laughs) (laughs) And and Tom will stick around. Tom will stick around and do, do whatever it is you need, so don't worry about it. I'll be the one singing the loudest <laughs> last week. <laughs> um, I have a quick, uh, a quick, just a little, I need to share this with you today because this week has been extremely difficult for me with my dad's health and, you know, they're going to put him on hospice and they're going to bring him home and, and I'm under a lot of stress because I'm the one dealing with all of this and I'm by myself, like literally by myself. You know, and 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 today I I was just so drained, and, and I read the Bible every day. I don't care what happens. I read the Bible every day, but today I it was like I was super 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 heavy, and I read Psalms. Uh, oh my God, I can't remember. I think it was twenty. Oh geez, I can't remember. But anyways, it spoke to me. It spoke to me, and then I was kept reading, kept reading, kept reading. And I stopped reading, and and I was. Going to pray to dismiss myself, <laughs> but the Lord said, Ruben, sing. And I was like, okay, so I got my guitar, and he said, no, just sing. Oh. But after the car. 
And I said, okay. So I started singing. I sang just three songs over and over and over again. And Pastor Ron, I'm going to tell you something. I felt something that I've never experienced in my life yeah. while I was just singing. Yeah. Just singing. No lights, no speakers, nothing. Just me and God and angels. Yeah. You know, Reuben, that's what the, what the King James means when it says the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And, and what you had was a, 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 a powerful experience with the Holy Spirit um, simply because you were being obedient and, and worshiping God is the highest thing that we can do. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard me, uh, my Bible studies on Mary of Bethany, but, but you know, we see her three times in the New Testament, Reuben, and all three times we see her at the feet of Jesus. And I think she had uh, the, the purest heart. And as a result of sitting at the feet of Jesus and worshiping, uh, she had more spiritual insight even than the disciples did that were with Jesus. So, uh, God bless you. I'm a little jealous for your for your experience. And 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 I know you're a musician, uh, but I can tell you with a little bit of envy, and I, I don't mean ungodly envy, but God has never told me just to sing to Him. <laughs> so evidently, He likes your voice a whole lot more than He likes mine. I, I think he did. He asked, asked you to make a noise. A noise yeah, make a noise, noise. yeah. <laughs> okay, Pastor Ron, I will see you Sunday. I will. Okay. Don't, okay. don't, don't bail on me now. I'm not, I promise you. I already set it up with Tom. We've already set up the time and everything. Okay. Thank I'll you, be, sir. I'll be the tall, good-looking guy in the front of the <laughs> sanctuary. <laughs> God bless you, Reuben. That's real. That'll be a treat. I can't wait to get here Sunday morning now. Paula is also going to be singing, so uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Here is a question from James from our mobile app. He says, what does following the elementary principles of this world mean? Uh, James, that appears twice uh, in the book of Hebrews. And the elementary principles of the world. Now we have to remember, in context, that the uh, that, that Paul is warning them. Um, uh, there's, there's six or some people say seven warnings in the book of Hebrews, and and basically he's warning them in this case against uh, being spiritually lazy. You know, by now you ought to be teachers, but we've got to focus on the elementary principles of the word or uh, the elementary principles of this world. And what it means is it's just Paul's way of saying to us, we need to grow up. We need to mature in our faith. And the elementary principles of this world uh, simply aren't uh, ever going to be enough uh, who uh, just that that's a very immature, a very shallow faith. And Paul is exhorting them, move on from here. No longer the milk of the word, but let's get to the meat of the word as well. And and I find, uh, James, that is a, a, a very timely exhortation uh, for the world at the time that we currently live uh, because the, 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 the biblical ignorance and the immaturity with which we approach the, the Bible uh, is, is devastating, and people simply aren't prepared for the trials and tribulations that come along. So the elementary principle of this world is sort of the baby stuff. Let's grow up, uh, let's mature in our faith and walk with Jesus, and then we would avoid some of those things that Paul is warning us about in the book of Hebrews. Great question. I love that very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jill from our email inbox. She says, Pastor, what's the meaning behind Solomon's statement in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 27 through 29. Now, I'm going to read it, and then I'll go into it a little bit, Jill. Uh, the verse says, look, says the teacher, and the teacher, of course, is Solomon. This is what I've discovered, adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things. While I was still searching but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This This only have I found... God made mankind upright, but men have gone uh, in search of many schemes. Now, what's important to understand here is that this is not an indictment of women. We've got to go back one verse to sort of set the context. Solomon writes, now, for, for everybody in the audience, this is a book 
that was written uh, at the end of Solomon's life as as an old man. And it's, it's, it's an old man reflecting on all of the errors of his ways. He chased everything. He denied himself nothing. He, he, we know he was the smartest man who's ever lived, also the richest and, and the, most secu- the most secure because God was giving birth to, to uh, uh, his, his uh, throne. And um, um, it, just, it was just a sweet time in Israel's history. And um, Solomon, who started wonderfully, he wrote Proverbs, my goodness, that was Solomon at his, at his best. Um, but, but as an old man, after, after giving in to sin and temptation, after trying to find fun and meaning and purpose in life, uh, one of the themes throughout Ecclesiastes is everything apart from God is vanity or meaningless. And literally, the translation of that word vanity is a chasing after the wind. And of course, you can't catch wind. So he's saying it's just all frustrating. And the value of Ecclesiastes is that he's looking back on that life and this is sort of his testimony. And this is how we know Solomon is going to be in heaven. This is Solomon who comes to the conclusion at the end of his life that, wow, I really blew it. I'm sorry, God. Uh, I, I chased everything but you. And all of it turned out to be meaningless. And then he repents and returns to God. So this is just his own experience and he is recalling it. Verse 26 says, I find, it more, I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. And remember, he had a thousand women, so he knows what he's talking about it. He says, the man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. So, again, this is a a powerful testimony of his shortcomings, and that's all it is. So this is not an indictment of women. He brought foreign women into his palace, into his bedroom. And we know that wasn't wise. He sought counsel from some of those women who led him away to following other gods, gods who aren't gods at all. And that's about as dumb as you can get, especially for the smartest man who's ever lived. So uh, this is just, take counsel. The application for us is simple. Take counsel from people who are walking with God. Don't seek counsel from people who aren't walking with the Lord because they're going to lead you into all kinds of difficulty. So again, this is not an indictment. Remember, we don't make doctrinal decisions out of the poetic books. And this is Solomon just looking at his own um, um, history. And with a thousand women in his life, he he looks back and says, you know, a woman who's causing me trouble, a woman who's who's leading me the wrong direction, uh, there's no wisdom from those women. So he was probably talking about the women in his own house specifically. One other comment, Jill, about this book. Solomon's greatest work, by far. Now, I know I'm practical. I like Proverbs. But. Uh, It's the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon in some translations. And uh, it was the the one song, he wrote over a thousand songs, but this was the one song that he wrote by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was about the one woman who had his heart. He saw her, he fell in love with her in an instant. He had to have her, he ended up marrying her. And then with um, all of those women in his life, All of those women in his life, every moment as he's looking back on his life, every moment he spent with a woman who was not that one woman was a moment wasted, a a moment that turned out to be meaningless. So that's the backstory, Jill, on um, Ecclesiastes. Great, great book. Uh, By the way, I have done a a verse-by-verse study through Ecclesiastes, and our church responded so wonderfully to it. And you can go to calvarysa.com and listen to that study if you are so inclined. Jill, thank you very, very much for the question. Here's one last one for this half of the program. It's anonymous from our mobile app. Hello, Pastor Ron. How did the dinosaurs and cavemen fit into God's plan of creation? Thank you. Anonymous dinosaurs do. Of course, dinosaurs are mentioned uh, briefly in our Bibles. Um, Cavemen are not. There were no cavemen. That's science fiction. That is not science. Remember this whole idea of evolution, 
uh, is we started with this lower form and, and suddenly evolved into a higher form. And this is where we have to make a decision. Are we going to believe science? And remember, science starts out with the supposition that there is no God. So it's not fact-based at all. And, uh, you know, the idea that we'd be King Man and Pro Magnum Man and Lucy and all of the others and the Neanderthals, uh, it, 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 that just isn't true. The very first two humans on earth were Adam and Eve, and they were perfect. God saw that it was very good. Ephesians 2.10 says that was just proof that, that mankind, Adam and Eve, and then we as their descendants, are the greatest thing, the most beautiful thing God ever did, his creative expression of duty. So we've got to sort of flush all that stuff that we've been brainwashed by uh, growing up in school uh, because there was there were no cavemen at all. There were dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, of course, would have been uh, dead in the flood. Um, um, it's very unlikely that any survived, but... Uh, uh, like other forms of animal life, they went extinct. So no cavemen, there were dinosaurs. Thank you for the question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back. I like saying this, I don't know why, to our final 30 minutes of the week. And you know what? It could be our final program ever because we could be raptured this week. I mean, it could happen this weekend. Somebody might be the very last person and they answer an invitation, they surrender their heart to Jesus Christ, and the rest of us are out of here. And then I wouldn't say on Monday, welcome to the program. We'd be in heaven, and unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be the questions expert when we get to heaven. So, And I'm fine with that. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I, um, I have something that I've struggled with for quite a while that you had said. And it's that our cats and dogs won't go to heaven. <laughs> and I, I was thinking about a particular cat that I've, I've had lots of cats and dogs. And I was thinking of one particular one that I had when Ray and I first got married. And Ray wanted to have a dog, and I said, no, she's, Fiji's not going to go for a dog in the house. And um, so Ray taught the cat to bow wow. She, ah! she he, he kept going, bow wow, bow wow. And then one day, Fiji walks in the room and goes, mow wow, mow wow. <laughs> and, and, and I found myself really missing her. And then I started to think about the fact that, well, dogs and cats don't go to heaven. And I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe they do. And then I started to think about everybody else's cats and dogs. And then I started to think about all the other animals on the planet that have ever lived and I could kind of understand why, well, I guess maybe they don't all go to heaven. So that's, yeah, I hope this doesn't sound too ridiculous. No, but. it doesn't. I get questions about this all the time, and people really get mad at me when I say that your pet's not going to be in heaven with you. You know, there's only the only species that is made in the image of God. And in large part, Cindy, what that means is that we are eternal beings. We're going to live somewhere forever. And that species, the only species to do that is is humans. So we're going to live somewhere forever. We choose where we're going to live while we're here on earth. If we give our hearts to Jesus Christ, we're going to live in heaven. If we reject Jesus Christ, we're going to live forever in torment in hell. Now, here's the, the, the reality. God gave us pets, animals. Um, we're to be in dominion, have dominion over them. They're here for our pleasure. They're here to make our lives easier and more pleasant, certainly. Um, but they are God's gift to us. Now, 
You've heard my story, Cindy, about uh, our dog, Modo. Uh, we had him for 15 years. Um, the first day we brought him home, he sat on my lap in my recliner. And uh, the last day he was alive. At 125 pounds, he sat on my lap in the recliner. That was just what he did. And uh, th- this dog, I can't tell you how much it meant to us. And uh, he protected Paula while I was away in Bible college. Um, uh, boy, was he ever protective. If there was ever a dog that was going to be in heaven, it was him. But but realistically, we've got to understand that that dog was a gift from God to Paula and to me and to our boys. Because he loved us. And I think we've got to learn to appreciate them for just what they are. They're gifts from God, but they're not gifts that are going to follow us to heaven. And for, for any Christian to think, well, I'm going to sure miss him in heaven— We're not going to miss anything in heaven. We're going to have a complete understanding of what the animals were in our lives, the role they played in our lives, and we we, we simply won't be missing anything at all in heaven. You know, uh, every time, and, and there are some people that are getting heretical with these kinds of things. Not you, Cindy, that's not what I meant, but... Um, uh, I know my cats are going to be in heaven or I know my dog is going to be in heaven. Uh, You know, Jesus told me that that they were. Um, That's just making God over in our image. And and there's no fact that that we can base those kind of statements on. Um, Your pets are God's gift to you. Bless them, take care of them, love them, protect them. But don't expect that they're going to be in heaven and if we think we're going to miss our pets when we're in heaven with Jesus, well, we really don't understand who Jesus is. He is the goal of our salvation, period. And in heaven, that's all we need. He alone is all we're ever going to need. Thank you for that, Cindy. I appreciate it. Our email inbox, this one is from Allie. Hi, Pastor Ron. I'm reading through Revelation chapter 13 right now. And I heard you mention the word hoopamony. I was wondering if you could go into more detail about the word and its meaning. Thank you. Allie, it is here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. This is one of our favorite words. Uh, favorite because of what it represents. Uh, it's one of the favorite words that the Apostle Paul uses. And what it means is staying under pressure or staying in the middle of a trial even though there is an escape route for you. I'll give you a perfect example. In Daniel chapter 3, when we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see them cast into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar had it turn up seven times hotter than normal. And he threw them in, bound, so there was no escaping. And, of course, uh, Romans... Um, um, Babylonian soldiers, rather not Romans, Babylonian soldiers were perishing just to get, because they got close to the fire. So instantly when the three Hebrew friends of uh, Daniel go into the fire, they're going to perish instantly. Uh, But they didn't. Only the ropes burned. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, how many people did we throw in there? And uh, well, we throw three, uh, your majesty. And he said, well, then why do I see four and the fourth looks like the Son of God? And Jesus was in the fire with them. Now, Ali, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were seen without bounds, without being bound by, by the ropes, they're walking around in the fire. They could have easily walked out of the fire. They could have jumped up. They would have been saved. But they chose to stay in the fire with Jesus. That's hoopamony in an Old Testament picture. Paul and Silas demonstrated hoopamony when they were in the Philippian jail, having been beaten badly and thrown into the stocks. They decided, well, what are we going to do? It looks doesn't look good. We're going to die, but let's just worship God. And they sang hymns and praises to the Lord. And, of course, we know the result of that. That's hoopamony sharing in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings from the book of Philippians. Uh, Paul's idea is, yeah, I, I, I wish I could not have to suffer. I wish I could get out of this trial. But Jesus, this is where you are, and this is where you have me. So I'm going to stay in this with you. So, Allie, that's what the word means. And uh, it is it is just, uh, we love that word here. 
And I talk about it often, not just in Revelation 13, but I talk about it often. So that's what the word means and the application for us. Great question, Allie. Thank you very, very much. And appreciate you going through our Revelation studies. Here is a question from uh, Anonymous from our email inbox. Hi, would you agree with what Tony Evans wrote concerning the verses in 1 John 5, 16 and 17? Now let me read the verses and then I'll read what uh, she copied me that Tony Evans said. And by the way, I love Tony Evans. I think he's um, right on most stuff. Uh, I admire his ministry. I admire his integrity. I admire the way that he has demonstrated hupomone. And that's for you, Allie. Um, after the death of his wife uh, and, and other family members um, in the last year and a half. Actually, for them, it's been a process about three years. Um, uh, he's a very faithful uh, servant of God uh, and enormously gifted. Paul and I listen to him sometimes together, and I just think, oh, I wish I could communicate like he does. I just, I, I do enjoy listening to him. Here's the verses, First John 5 verses 16 and 17. Uh, John writes, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and that's always a question. Um, I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Now, obviously, um, Anonymous, what this says is that there are categories of sin that get really, really bad. Uh, There's a sin that does not lead to death. That's just the normal sin. We miss the mark every day. But there are some people who take it really, really far. And that's what Tony Evans said. And I'll read for the audience what you copied me. Uh, His explanation is, is there's a more serious kind of sin, though, a sin that leads to death. This is a sin that results in the physical death of a believer. We see examples of this in Scripture when God takes unrepentant believers home before their time. And then his references are 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17 and chapter 11, verse 30. These are typically gross sins against the body of Christ. In view here is not a believer struggling with sin. After all, the church is a hospital for sinners, but a hard-headed fool who adopts a harsh, unloving attitude toward God's people. When someone wreaks havoc in the family of God, he may experience severe discipline from the Lord. John says, I'm not saying that a believer walking with God should pray about that, though he does say we shouldn't pray in such cases. He is communicating that you cannot have confidence that God will answer such a prayer. I agree with with that um, uh, almost completely uh, anonymous. Uh, I would just add one, one, I think, better example that we have in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. We've got uh, two believers, numbered among the believers, um, Ananias and Sapphira. And, um, you know, they they were used by the enemy to introduce hypocrisy into God's pure church. And God killed them both. That's the kind of sin that leads to death. And and they, they lied to the Holy Spirit and, and, and one one after the other. Um, they they were they were killed. Peter didn't do it. The Holy Spirit killed him. That's clear. Um, and and that's just a picture of just how seriously God takes our sin. You know, we can be cavalier about sin, but God never is. And there are just some sins. And as Tony Evans pointed out, um, when when we see people who are trying to divide the the house of God, uh, I know people, and and I am not an expert. I don't have any spiritual insight that the rest of you don't have on this. But uh, I've seen people who started out really, really well and became so divisive and they hurt so many people uh, in in a particular church. Um, And they were, in in the cases I'm thinking about, they were men who had responsibility as leaders in that particular church. And they messed up so bad and they caused so much damage and they refused to repent of that damage. And, and uh, I know two of them personally who just dropped dead. Instantly, there was no warning. Uh, they, they just dropped dead. Now, I'm confident they're going to be in heaven. And I'm also confident that they're going to stand before the Lord and, 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 uh, and, and give account for the damage their sin caused to God's people. Uh, but God won't let people get in the way of the work. It doesn't matter where you are as a church, 
there's always going to be somebody who's planted by the enemy, somebody who's not walking right with the Lord, and the enemy is going to going to deceive them and use them to sow discord. And God says he hates those who sow discord in his body. Not tonight, but a week from tonight, I'm going to be talking in Philippians about Euodia and Sintuki. And Paul pleads with them and with the church around them, brothers, help these two women who've contended at my side for the sake of the gospel. Help them to get along. And sometimes because so much damage is done, it's just easier for God to say, okay, you're done. I'll take you out of here. And and that way they get to go to heaven and it keeps them from... Um, becoming even more hard-hearted and doing more damage to the body of Christ. So that's the sin that leads to death. But that's exactly what John is talking about. And John, of course, um, would have had uh, uh, certainly a greater frame of reference than than you or I do. Anonymous, thank you. Good question. 340-9585. Here is a question from Nathan. He says, I know we have free will, but how do you reconcile it with God's sovereignty? It seems like free will reduces God's power. You know, Nathan, we've had a bunch of questions in the past two weeks about uh, free will and sovereignty. I guess people are listening to Calvinists again. Um, Be careful who you listen to. Uh, Both things are true. Uh, You and I, we have free will, and God is sovereign. Now, what we see in God's sovereignty. Our error is that we assume that God being sovereign, meaning he has complete control over everything, we read that to mean that God causes all the things that happen. Well, if somebody shot up a crowd and there's another mass murder, that was God's will because, you know, who can resist God's will? Um, that's not what sovereignty means. And, and in fact, it doesn't reduce God's power by us having free will. It enhances and increases God's power. We know, Romans 8, 28, a famous verse, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So what that means is God uses the decisions that people make in this world, even those that hate him, even those that are in rebellion against him, and God is in the background working all of those things together for our good and to accomplish his will. And that's more power. I mean, you think about God who can use even Satan. Satan is called the servant of God. God didn't make him fall. God didn't doesn't make him tempt us. God allows it. And in the background, God is using Um, um, our free will and his power to turn everything back toward him. Now, Nathan, the picture that I always have in my mind is uh, of a Rubik's Cube. Uh, I've I've got a Rubik's Cube here in my office. The kids come in, they like to play with it, and I say, okay, you can't mess with it unless you can put it back together. Oh, I can do it, I can do it, and they never do. And so then I've got to find somebody to do it. Because I like everything in order. I want my life to walk with God. I want it to be orderly. And so that that messed up Rubik's Cube is just my, uh, just I, I just can't stand it. I, I, I want it to be everything the way it's supposed to be. Um, well, God is the one in heaven who, when we make bad decisions, when we do things that we know are contrary to God's will for our life, when we do those things, can you imagine Jesus in heaven working with her? That's me working on a Rubik's Cube. Uh, can you imagine? He just puts everything back in order. And all we have to do to be right in the middle of his will again is to repent and run into his presence. So that enhances God's power. For, for, for God to be able to take all the people that hate him and are rebelling against him and trying to destroy his people and the work that he wants to do in this earth and make it all work together for the good. I think of Moses and Elijah in the uh, in the future. Uh, they're the two witnesses from Revelation chapter 11. And I think of them, you know, uh, uh, for the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, they're witnessing um, to the whole world about the, about the Messiah. And people are trying to do things to kill him, and they're trying to figure out how to get rid of him, and they can't. Every time they come near, fire comes out of their mouth, or uh, lightning comes down from heaven, um, um, and, and, and the, the enemies are stopped. Well, at some point, 
God in his sovereignty then lets them, at the three and a half year point, they're killed. He, he allows them to be killed. And for three days, the whole world parties, their bodies are being desecrated in the streets. And then all of a sudden, the breath of life comes in them. And God takes the free will that the people had to, to, to party and to desecrate their bodies. And, and in an instant, when they rise into the heavens alive, everybody sees the power of God. And that, of course, for the world that rejects Jesus Christ is the the beginning, the real beginning of the end. So, Nathan, I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Xavier. Xavier, I've heard this question or this statement more times than you can imagine. Pastor, I have a hard time with a loving Heavenly Father figure because my dad was not around. Uh, can you help me? Um, Xavier, this is where we need to, to, to really walk in faith. Uh, one of the worst mistakes that we can make is to um, rip ourselves off from the Father who's already demonstrated beyond any doubt that he loves you. He's already proven it. He died for you. He sent his son to die, to be punished cruelly and, 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 and to be tortured. And it's just like God saying, well, what else do I need to prove to you that I love you? It's, a, it's like the final act of love. This is what I did for you. That ought to settle the issue about my love for you once and for all. And then what we do is we blame the failures of our earthly parents, and in this case, earthly fathers. Uh, we blame that on, on God the Father. And I don't know why, Xavier, that we want to blame God for the horrible things that our parents have done to us. Uh, my dad was was a good father in the sense that he provided, um, but he was a grouch. He was a, a hard guy. He was a really difficult guy. Um, compassion, believe me, was not his middle name. And I grew up hard-hearted because of that. And and so when when I start thinking about a loving Heavenly Father, and if I compare him to my dad, I'm going to think, well, he doesn't really love me. He's going to be hard on me. But then we have to remember again, this is where faith comes in, Xavier. We have to remember that he proved his love beyond any doubt. And so here's what you've got to do. You've got to accept the fact that your father maybe was a jerk. Don't take that personal, but that's the reality. But why would we stain our Heavenly Father, who's proven His love for us, with that same heart? I know the enemy is going to lie to you. The enemy is going to going to try to convince you that God doesn't care, God's not good, and you're going to say, well, my father wasn't either. So, But we're the ones in that case, Xavier, getting ripped off. Very, very important. Good question. Last question for the week. This one is from Danny. He says, John 14 says the Father is greater than he is. If Jesus is God, how can that be? Um, Danny, Jesus is talking about his incarnation. Um, the Father was greater than he in terms of authority. Exuiza is the Greek word. In terms of authority. And all that means is that Jesus was in his incarnation and now forever submitted to his Father, taking a secondary position. Remember, Philippians chapter 2 says he considered equality with God not to be held on to, not something to be grasped, but he let it go. And he did it for you and for me. Mostly he did it for his Father. Can you imagine, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what the Father said. Why? Because he submitted. He was He's fully God. He's equal to God. But in his incarnation, he took a, 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 a submitted role. He never had an independent thought. He only did what he saw his father do. He only said what he heard his father say. And so he's talking about the Father is greater in terms of authority, not in nature, not in character, not in attributes. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all the same when it comes to that. And of course, Jesus has uh, returned to heaven, 
uh, and he is fully God now. But but because he's also fully human in heaven, he retains that submission to the Father forever and ever and ever. Now, we might think, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would he have to submit? Remember, there's no disagreement. There's no disunity at all. That's why Jesus could pray, Father, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one. So this isn't one of those things where Jesus is saying, this is a bummer. You know, I've got to, I've got to be submitted to my Father even when I go back to heaven. No, that just demonstrates that it was a greater sacrifice than we can possibly imagine. Jesus becoming a man was a greater sacrifice than we'll ever be able to understand. He left the worship of angels to be born in a stable. He left his role of holding all things together. That's what Colossians says. He's holding all things together right now. And he left that position in order to be planted in the womb of a 15-ish-year-old girl. He came to his own knowing that his own were going to reject him. That's about as much love as we can possibly understand. And Jesus, well, that makes him pretty great as well. So I hope that makes sense to you. No greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for the people of God. Um, Can't imagine. Can't imagine. So, Danny, I hope that makes sense. Uh, we're done for the week. We got a lot of stuff going on this week. Please keep us in prayer. We're praying that somebody gets saved this weekend and that person might be the last one and then we would be out of here. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May he bless you. May he walk with you. May you walk with him. Go to church this Sunday and tell somebody that Jesus loves them. God bless. See you on Monday. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.